Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Records Off The Record podcast with me, David McCarthy, and Keith Jackson. Today we are delighted to welcome to the show a former Rangers player who arrived on these shores as a kid from Australia and went on to win 13 major honours, six leagues, four Scottish Cups and three League Cups, in two spells at Ibrox that saw him walk, work under Walter Smith, Dick Advocat and Alex McLeish. He played in two World Cups for his country in 20, uh, sorry, 2006 and 2010 and amassed more than 50 caps for the Socceroos before moving on to become a successful agent with contacts and clients all over the world. It's not a bad CV, to be fair, and we're thrilled to have Craig Moore to discuss it with us. Hello and welcome to the show, Craig. Thanks for joining us. David, thanks. Nice introduction, mate. Happy with that. I was going to say, he's giving you a right build-up there, isn't he? He's giving you a it's only downhill for here, mate. Uh, <laughs> I think, Craig, to start the conversation, do you want to just tell us how uh, a kid from Sydney ended up in the Rangers youth system? Because I think you came over, didn't you, um, You know, as, as a very young man, maybe 16 or 17? Yeah, I mean, look, we do it 30 years ago. Um Long, long time. Time flies when you're having fun, yeah? Um, but look, I, I was, uh, I guess, I was in the junior national team fold in in, in Australia. Uh, I'd played uh, an under-17 World Cup in Italy and then um, under-20 World Cup in Australia. And our national team coach was Eddie Thompson, who was a Scottish lad, uh, who was very close. So I had a, a, certainly a good network here in Scotland and was close enough with Archie Noxon and Walter Smith. So it, it was through that that I was I was given the opportunity to come over and, and trial in 1993. Um, and and it, it went well. I was actually on the back of a trial I had at Arsenal as well. So it was a strange situation. 17-year-old lad, as you say, all the way from Australia and Sydney. Um, and, and then I'm, I'm sitting with, with, with two three-year offers, one from Arsenal and one from, from Glasgow Rangers who – at the time, I, I didn't know a great deal about Rangers because a lot of the stuff that we got shown in Australia was all the, the Premier League stuff, the, all the English yeah. stuff. Um, but Eddie Thompson, the national team coach at the time, it brought me up to speed very quickly about what the, the club was all about. And um, the two-week trial that I had uh, and was quite successful in and get to see for myself the size of the club, the characters, um I was sold straight away. Um, it was like, well, when, when can I get over here? This looks absolutely amazing. And that's a massive thing to do, though, at that age, isn't it? I mean, leave yeah. the family behind, go to the other side of the world. It's, it's, a, it's a massive step. We had the same conversation with Scott McDonald. You know, it's a huge uh, thing to do at that age. Yeah, but see, see the Aussies, mate, We need, as you can see still to this day, we need to do things a little bit differently in terms of the, the pathway to, to, to maybe Europe and that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, I was I was living away from home as, uh, as young as 15 years of age. I was down at the Centre of Excellence completing my, I'm saying complete my school. Uh, I was probably focused more on the football at that stage, but uh, the older you get, you understand how important the education side is. As well, but that was going through the centre of excellence with the likes of the Mark Badukas, John Aloisi's. Um, we had a really, really strong group. So, to, to, to become a professional footballer, the only opportunity was to to you travel. Have to do, yeah. Uh, and and like I said, for me, apart from probably the first season where I think I might might have picked up something in injury, or maybe Walter Smith 
could could sense that over Christmas time was probably an important time to to be with family in the first year back in Australia. After that, I, I'd never experienced any um, homesickness um, or, or kind of that desire to want to keep returning home. Uh, mm-hmm. I used to I used to laugh because we'd have lads here um, at at ranges that maybe you know stayed down south or the boys coming over for Northern Ireland and. <laughs> They were going on about how homesick they were, and I used to just laugh and go, "Are you serious? That takes me a day to get home." Yeah, it's funny because we had Richard Goff on this a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and Richard was saying that he did suffer from homesickness originally when uh, you know he left South Africa to to try and make his way, and uh, and he did actually mention you, and he, he did say that in the very early days um, he thought that Walter did um, kind of recognise that. You know, you were a young lad so far away from home. And at one point, he did say to you, if you want to go back for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever, then you could do that. So you were obviously well treated at Ibrox in the early days. Uh, very much so. And, and Goffey is someone who, who I speak with on a, on a regular basis. He was he was a great mentor for me um, and, and had a similar, you know, as you touch on early stage of his career in terms of travelling, coming from a long way away. Um, and he was brilliant for me, you know. He was he was one that kind of, I guess, always kept an eye out to make sure that I was travelling okay. Um, but you know, he was an inspirational leader as well, and he was he was one of uh, at that time, you know, seven, eight, nine really strong, unbelievable uh, characters that that kind of uh, framed, I, I guess, my time at the the football club for the length that I eventually stage you know to, to to learn and be educated by these these great uh players richard goff all the scottish ones at the time that were in the national team you know they mccoist ian durant ian ferguson stuart mccall andy gordon the, the kind of list the list went on but in terms of education uh it was quick uh you, you had to learn um but i was in a really good position because i i, I guess you know, people sort of like they, they warm to the ones that they see that, you know, that they really have that desire to want to become a professional and show the, the right character. So pleasing enough for me, I, I, I did show that and was well looked after. I was going to say, Oz, it's a hard knock school, wasn't it? When you're growing up with these, but a young kid thrown into that dressing room, Jesus, I can only imagine what it must have been like. I mean, you must have been, you need tough, tough skin for that, I guess. It was one of the one of the best bits of uh, early advice. I'm not saying like day one, but after maybe about a year and kind of broke into to the first team. And it was Ali McCoyst, and he said to me, "Listen, son," he says, "See, to be a success at this football club, you need thick skin." Um, and, and and don't we know that? Because I, I was lucky enough in terms of I experienced some some really really good times. Had a tough year where uh, obviously I was being used in different positions. So yeah. maybe the maybe the supporters didn't really see the best of me in the, the earlier period. Um, but it was easy to um, you know go home after a game, listening to the radio, reading papers, and and take that really really personal. Um, I didn't allow that to happen, Keith. You know, and one of the first people that I actually ever met at the football club who was also great for the first year for me was was Charlie Miller. Yeah, mm-hmm. Charlie Miller was a wonderful talent, as we know. What what a player Charlie was, and we're lifelong friends. You know, end up coming out to Australia with me and playing as well. But Charlie was the first boy that I met, and again, you could kind of see where Charlie was headed in regards to the first team. First team wasn't far away, mm-hmm. um, and then probably after that first year, then stepping into that dressing room that you mentioned, um, 
mate, I just tried to get in as quietly as I possibly could so that, <laughs> so that they don't would leave me alone for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've spoken to, uh, obviously, wee Barry, about wee Barry. Barry, yep. what it was like trying to get through and into this kind of certain into the first team environment. And he had nightmares with Archie Knox. I mean, he used to go to bed having, you know, he couldn't sleep thinking about visions and Archie Knox just shouting, Ferguson, cup of tea, da 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 and ordering him about and all that. Did. And he and basically said he was a little bit bullied, but in a good way, it was it was to toughen him up, it was to get him first team ready. Did you have any experiences like that? Did, did, did you get a hard time like, trying to turn you from a boy into a man? That seems to be the education that they were trying to, to, to give the guys. Well, I think back then, yeah, what was normal was, uh, you know, those um, uh, apprenticeships mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, the younger players uh, come in and they they, they had jobs, uh, whether it was, you know, whether it was cleaning bathrooms or, uh, you know, the, the, the boot room or uh, as Barty had. I mean, Barty probably, Walter and Archie were clever there. They always got the, <laughs> the, the real talents that made sure that they, they had that closer eye on them because I think Charlie was also the one that was getting fetched and, uh, sorry, fetching the tea and all that sort of stuff, tea and toast for for Walter and Archie. But Archie, Archie Knox, when he shouted, mate, you could hear it through the the whole building. Um, and and that's when we would, you know, base that Ibrox. So you basically have to report in there, and then we'd jump on buses and and head off to different training places. But I think Barry's uh, spot on, Keith, because it's something that's lost. I think now with the you know the academy football and the way things are, are set up now, we we bring in talented players. There's no doubt about that. There's yeah. still a lot of ta- talent out there. But in terms of, I guess, those life life skills, real responsibility, accountability at a very young age, um, that was something that they definitely got. And uh, only the tough survived. Yeah. Well, right now, it's only Gucci handbags and body wash <laughs> and these aftershave. Aye. <laughs> Absolutely, aye, aye. Tell us a wee bit, um, Craig, if you can, um, a kind of comparison of the, the three managers that you had yeah. me at, at Ibrox, because obviously you had huge, huge success under Walter. Yeah. And then when he moved on, you know, Dick Advocate came in and I would imagine that the whole kind of culture almost changed because they brought in so many Dutch guys with them uh, yeah. and world, world-class footballers. I mean, genuine world-class footballers, didn't they? Um so how did that? How how did you find that change? Well, I guess so you're right. So the first six years of my time at, at the football club was was under Walter Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Now I probably didn't secure uh, a starting eleven position as a central defender, but when you consider the the, the players, I mean, Goffey, um, there was Goffey, there was John Brown, there was um, Dave McPherson, there was Basil Bolly at one stage, there was Jockey Bjorklund, there was Alan McLaren, there was Gordon Petrich. Yeah. Mate, the list the list went on. So I was kind of used um, as a bit part, um, but hugely thankful to to Walter Smith because he was he was a man that believed in me and, and gave me my professional uh, opportunity. Um, but the, the first six years was extremely tough. But domestically, Walter was brilliant. He knew the game absolutely inside out. Um, he knew he knew the right balance. He knew the mix that that was required, and. Um, we get, we get carried away, I think, today with, with, with formations, uh, how teams set up and all that sort of stuff. And Walter and Archie, very, very simple. Go out and win that battle for the first 15 minutes. You've got to show that you're just as strong. You can fight just as much. Win those personal battles. We're a better team. 
we'll go on and win games of football. We're sad to see him leave because uh, that was on the, the back of, you know, hopefully us Rangers in a position to clinch 10 in a row, if you can remember. But that, that had yeah. come out quite early uh, in the season after being 12 points clear, our, our season tailed off and unfortunately couldn't secure 10 in a row. At that time, I left because I felt as if I hadn't sort of like pinned down a starting 11 position. And that's the reason why I ended up going to Crystal Palace. Uh, Terry Venables, mm-hmm. who I'd worked with with the national team. I'd been with Dick Avocat just for a small part. Um, anyway, the way things worked out, I had the opportunity to come back and play under Dick again. And Dick was a, a different type. He brought a different style of football that you mentioned, different type of players. But See, still- so, sorry, Craig, can I just interrupt you? Uh, just before we start talking about Dick Advocate, why do you think that for all Rangers' domestic success and some of the wonderful footballers, like, you know, your Gascoigns and Loudrops, why did it not happen in Europe for Rangers at that point? Um, I, I, I felt that, that tactically, going from domestic football to European football was, was, was next, next level. And, and I think that's probably an area where we, we kind of fell, fell down, you know. So I'm talking about um, the real sort of like finer detail of games, you know, set pieces, um, concentration, because I, I don't think it's changed today. I mean, you know, you look at Celtic and you look at Rangers where there's maybe mistakes that are made domestically that you don't get punished for. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, in Europe, you get punished. Uh, and I, I kind of learned that very, very early. I think my... Debut was away to Juventus, um, and and we got we got an absolute lesson. The, the Del Piero game, Del Piero game on on Alec Cleland, um, which which comes up every now and then. But I mean, that, I was up against, I think it was Ravanelli and Viali up top. Yeah, all No, they were they were they were unbelievable. So I guess that the 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 lessons, the learning lessons in Europe were very very harsh because. We had to be at our absolute premium, yeah. our, our absolute best, um, to to go and compete. Um, and any mistakes that were made, uh, or if we, you know, had a few players that weren't weren't on the, on that particular night, then you, you're losing the games and and losing them quite comfortable. And it changed because the season I come was obviously the season after the success that Rangers had and got to the semi final of the Champions League. But remember that was that was two pots of four, wasn't it, for the Champions? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So it started to it started to change. It started to evolve, and the and the European the European teams and that competition was extremely difficult. So we did struggle in the early part, even with I would say world class talent, because Paul Gascoigne and uh, Brian Loudrop were world class. Yeah. yeah. Do you know the weird thing was was with that team and with the talent that you're talking about there, Rangers kind of came up short. But when Walter came back for the second stint. He had a team yep. nowhere near as talented as that, but clearly yep. his tactical input changed. He he changed the way, you know, he, the, his run to that European final in Manchester was a, a tactical masterclass. It's a managerial masterclass yep. in that, you know, you can look back on that, look at the, the kind of some of the parts that you've got there, and mm. it was all down to how he managed the team. It's almost as if when he had the, the real talented players, he... he, he he wasn't. He, he didn't want to kind of, you know, cob them or, or, or overcoach or overcomplicate. Just go and play. But yeah. when he had a less talented group, he was able to go and succeed to an incredible level. 
and and you're spot on. You're spot on. I think I, I, look again. Experience. It doesn't matter how old we are. We, we we're always learning, Keith, and mm-hmm. improving. And 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 I think Walter just um, with the experiences that he'd had. Um, and I agree with you. I, th- I think it was a team that you know you're not talking about the superstars. Although you know Barry Ferguson for me was yeah uh, was, was was top top class, and he was involved in that run that you're talking about. And I speak to Barry quite a lot, and um, you know Walter. I think. In, in in that period, he, he he knew how to make his teams hard to beat, and 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 in Europe, if you can settle into a game, um, and, and you don't concede the early goal and that sort of stuff, then you've always got a chance to grow into matches and frustrate uh, and go and get the right results. And I think that that's where Walter, um, certainly as time went on, he got a lot better in in understanding exactly what was required to get over the line, and sometimes. It's nice on the eye. It's entertaining going toe to toe with your opponent, but also sometimes it's the quickest way to get beat in Europe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually forgot that you'd left when when Dick came in. I, I, I'd forgotten about that period. How long were you away for? Less than a season. I was. Uh, I was six months. Six months. Yeah. I, I left because it, got, it was kind of like for, for me. It felt like an end of an era at the club when when. And the, you know, Walter was leaving, Gascoigne had left, yeah, um, Loudrup had left, Goffey had left. Like there was a there was a mass clear out, and there was a change clearly that was uh, coming to to Rangers. And I just felt because I hadn't been that starting eleven player that I was probably part of that clear out. Right. So my connection with Teddy Terry Venables, uh, being the national team coach, um, and and having ex- experience of working with him, that opportunity come along, Keith. So. Uh, it just felt right at the moment. I started the season very, very well, um, and things were going well at Crystal Palace. But <clears throat> they financially hit hit uh, trouble. The, the owner at the time, Mark Goldberg, who was a lovely man, um, they, they just they they couldn't keep up financially uh, mm-hmm. with 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 what was happening at the time. And then I seen you and Chester. You know you and Chester. Yes, yeah. all very well. You, you and Chester again, great man, great Rangers man who done an amazing job in regards to scouting. I remember seeing him um, floating about at one of my games at Crystal Palace, and I thought it was a bit it was a bit odd there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rangers doing their work understood that there was a maybe an opportunity that Palace financially were struggling, and um, and I was back within six months, mate. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a six month window that I'd completely forgotten about because uh, when you actually think back to the start of Dick Advocates' time, that's right. You know, he was, his centre halves would have been. Well, Colin Hendry was there, wasn't he? Colin Hendry was there at the time. I think still Scotty Wilson was there. Yeah. Um, Big Amaruso. Amaruso was there. Um, yeah. I mean, Dick Dick was, he was brilliant. But, you know, you, you talk about a moment, I guess, where you really connect with the manager. Um, we had a, his first game of the, the, the following season, I think, and played Kilmarnock at Ibrox. And I made a mistake, and he, he took me off after 23 minutes at Ibrox. I was absolutely raging it because again, I'm still young enough. I'm 23. It's like, yeah, um, it's a sore one to take because it's, it's kind of embarrassing. You made a mistake, you get taken off, and we all make mistakes. But he hooked me for it, and then I, I went in. We had a, a meeting. We had a European game. He brought me into his room, hotel room, and he says, "Listen, Craig. He says if that's the standard that you're going to give me." He says, then I'll just go out and sign another central defender. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm thinking, wow. And I, so I ended up, I, I listened to what he had to say. I got up and I says, just to let you know, you can go and sign another central defender, knock yourself out, just to let you know, I'm the one that's going to be playing. 
And then he's like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and from that moment, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I think I went and played the best football um, I ever played because that was a, the season where we ended up, I, we were unlucky, but that Champions League group of uh, Bayern Munich, Valencia, PSV, uh, I, I thought that was a, an unbelievable time and, and football that, that we kind of played, the result against Parma to get to that stage. Yeah. Um, and, I, and from that moment, I just I think he felt as if he could trust me, and I also had that that relationship with Dick that that was a really really positive one. What was the dressing room dynamic like there? Because obviously there were so many Dutch boys, and I think yeah. we all know that that they're not exactly shy and retiring, are they? I mean, I think yeah. it's kind of in their DNA that they're that let's just call them confident boys. What was the dynamic between them and the like the Scottish contingent? And I'm kind of including you in the Scottish contingent. Yeah. You, nah, I was, I was, yeah, I was. In the end, I was homegrown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but but the Dutch are the best. They're the best, don't they? They're the best at everything. But then I, I used to, I used to wind, <laughs> I used to wind them up, and I said, yeah, but you're not very good at penalties. Yeah. yeah you, you know, penalty shootouts, competition. They're not good at penalties. Had, had had a little bit of fun with them, but I tell you what, the 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 key. Um, the key figure, the key player that, that brought all of that together in terms of the foreign players that were coming in, it was Arthur Newman. Yeah, Arthur Newman was enormous. I know, I know Barry Ferguson speaks about him a lot because uh, uh, Dick Avocat put Arthur with Barry to, to to kind of bring him along because he's seen exactly what uh, we all eventually seen in Barry Ferguson. But but Dick was probably the first one that says, you know what this boy's got a real chance and I need to make sure I get good people around about him. Um, and Arthur was was really crucial in this period, I think, for the football club because you mentioned there was a lot of Dutch players, so he had he had a good handle of that and made sure that um, there wasn't that divide in the dressing room that, that kind of it flowed. Um, and look, I'll be honest with you, I ended up spending 12 years at the football club and every single one of those years, we always had a fantastic dressing room. There was never any issues. Um, players, I'm not saying that players left as, as best friends, but when you were in and you were working and when you were in that environment, there was always um, that, that, that strong pull to work together. It's you can see that, can't you, in the, the likes of the testimonial games and legends matches and all that that come up, just how many guys come back. Because with a lot of clubs, you know, players come back to play in these games that you, you've actually forgotten that they've actually played for the club. But all the big names keep coming back to the Rangers once. Yeah, and again, I put a lot of that down to, um, you know, Sir David Murray in terms of the the, the, the people that come through the football club. Um, there were always lasting relationships. You know, people, people that left, as you touch on, and still to this day, uh, have always been extremely fond of the football club because they were treated in the right way. Um, and clearly, uh, they understand what the support uh, and the club, um, the, the size, just, just the size and the scale of it. And I guess you don't really appreciate that unless you start to, to travel um, yeah. around the world. And, you know, I've been in South America and all that sort of stuff and been recognised and people speaking uh, about Rangers and all that sort of stuff. I remember the early days when I used to go back and forward to Australia. I'd walk, I'd walk back in through customs in Australia, uh, playing for the national team or what have you, uh, and nobody knowing who you are, walking in no problem, and then coming back through customs in Glasgow and, and, and people saying, welcome back, Mr Moore. Uh, lovely to see you and all. And it just, it, it always, I think, gave 
me an unbelievable feel, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a feeling that that any player that's come through, um, that feeling of 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 being, um, I guess, yeah, belonging, Keith, but uh, like appreciated for 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 what they tried to do at the football club. Mm-hmm. What uh, was that like in the dressing room? Because I mean, I, I loved him, right? We I had a very good relationship with him. He didn't like many of the press for some uh, reason. Me and him got on. But he yeah. was fiery as anything, and I'm thinking he can be like that in a press conference. What's he actually like in the dressing room? I mean, was he fireworks? No, he was. He was. He was just stern. He was. You, you, you knew that when when he spoke, uh, what he wanted. Um, he was just firm in in, in everything. Um, yeah. But you know what, Keith? He softened as well. Um, you know, I think any manager when they come in, first and foremost, they want to. They want to. I, I guess set the environment, the culture. Um, and the kind of rules, the guidelines, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's before you start talking about the, the the type of football they want to play and all those kind of things. So he come in and he did that very, very. Um, he was very harsh at the beginning, but like I said, I, I think he softened uh, a lot. Um, and I, I remember his preseason. Preseason, it was preseason used to be um, run, run, keep running and, and look to your left, look to your right and you see players being sick. That was pre-season yeah. back in the day. <laughs> but but Dick Avocat was the first person um, that I worked that, that, yeah, that I'd worked under, mate, where we'd done, we'd done a pre-season and we'd been back two days and we were already playing games. Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and everyone was buzzing because they're like, oh, that, this, is, this is unbelievable. And we kind of got our fitness through, through football rather than the running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember Fernando Rickson. We were doing, you know, we were doing timed runs. Him and Morris Ross, to be fair, because they were both fit, really, really fit boys. And Dick Avocat, after one of the the runs we'd done, he said, "No, no." He said, "Listen, you're in too fast. When I want it to get quicker, all right, I'll tell you. I want it quicker. But right now, I want you to get in at this time." And by the way, it was music to my ears because I was probably a little bit behind them at the time. <laughs> Just different, mate. Different mentality. He took you to München Gladbach, did he not? As well, he did. Yeah, he did. He went to, I mean, Borussia München Gladbach, another big, big club. Yeah. Um, the the year that I was there with with, with Dick were that we were fourth bottom when I went there, um, and managed to to stay stay in that position. Um, but he ended up leaving at the back end of the season, uh, and kind of I was I was about to sign a new three year contract. And then Dick Dick leaves, and I'm thinking, well, I've only kind of really come here to, to play under under uh, Avocat, and now he's left. So at the end of that season is is when I then um, quite late in the transfer window ended up going back to the come back to the UK, going to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we've kind of jumped about there, but just give us a wee insight into life in the Bundesliga. Then what was that like in comparison to Scottish football? Because their their fans love it as well, don't they? Yeah. Oh no, you know what? The, the stadiums were amazing. Uh, yeah. The game, the games were uh, of a, of a really really good quality, and um, the, the late drama in those matches. It was like you know, the teams would just continually have a go right to the very very last minute. You didn't really get teams sitting in. Um, even you know, we're going away playing against Bayern Munich, all sort of stuff in the position that we were in. We're we're not sitting in. It was like it was a proper proper game of football. So I really enjoyed that side of things. As a defender, what I what I did find is um, in the UK the way I was kind of brought up, or even maybe because of the the Australian way I was brought up, do your job, and if you can help someone else, great. Um, 
whereas in 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 germany as a back four for example um, if you get beat individually mate you're, you're conceding the goal because nobody's covering anybody nobody's <laughs> covering anybody I, I remember honestly i remember once there was one moment right fullback who forget his name played for the czech national team right fullback striker comes short and does that 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 spin right so he's mm-hmm. kind of dummy he's dummy with his movement and i'm thinking oh, okay he's, i've been done with the movement but my right fullback's tucked in i'm going to cover it man, i had a look where my right fullback was he's standing out in the sideline marking his man that was like <laughs> it, it was just really weird for me because again i'd kind of uh, i guess been developed and, and brought up differently in terms of the way that i'd played yeah <clears throat> but i think that com- probably comes back to the camaraderie and the the sort of a bond that you guys get together at Rangers and, and perhaps it's, it's a Scottish thing, but I think when you get that sort of dressing room mentality, you, you're there for the guy next to you, aren't you? You're there to, if he's, yeah. if he's in trouble, I'm going to bail him out. I'm not going to be stuck in this position so that when the manager analyzes the goal at the weekend, he'll say, well, at least you were doing your job. You know, there's something about the, the kind of team spirit that was fostered. Yeah. And you know what? And it's one of those. It is one of those ones, and it's probably something that I only ever experienced at um, at Rangers. Is um, I know, I know, and society we've moved on. Things have changed, but uh, you know, we were the team that kind of um, that drank together, um, that 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 won together. Yeah. It was fun. People become like an extended part of your your family. You know, like mm-hmm. we we wanted to spend actually more time with one another after training after yeah. matches uh, whereas i think nowadays um and again when i went to other clubs you know people would go in and do their training and be professional that sort of stuff but then disperse and, and go and do their own thing whereas um my, my my time at rangers you know like outside of training outside of games i spent so much time with 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 teammates and their families and um not just one person you know you're talking about a lot of people so all yeah. of a sudden now you're um you're in the heat of battle uh, on a, on a Saturday afternoon, mate. You're 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 given everything you, you have absolutely have got for yourself, for the fans, but also for your mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I, and I feel that's important. That that's important because that 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 creates a real strong bond between the um, between the group, um, and people want to go and like it says go over and beyond to to go and get that result. Do you think that you know these days, Craig? There's so much emphasis placed on sports science nutrition, living your life the right way to be a, a professional footballer. But obviously, and, you know, we've spoken over the years about, um, you know, some of the so, some of the stuff that that particular Rangers team, you know, yeah. would have got up to. And, you know, we had Goffey on a couple of weeks ago, as I said, and he, you know, he gave he's a He's one of the quieter ones. He was, I know, but there was plenty <laughs> around about him who weren't so quiet. And, um, you know, but, you know, do, do you think that back in the day, you know, Going out for a bevy, it didn't seem to affect what happened in the Saturday. So how? So why does that not happen these days? Then I tell you what, it was managed within that eh? because before Walter Smith would would need to come down and say anything, uh, Richard Goff and Ian Ferguson. If you go out and have a drink and you you don't trap in terms of being able to train the next day of a high high level, mate, the players would say, "Don't don't go out. If you can't do it, don't go out." Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was kind of managed like that and um, obviously it's changed the game's changed sports science you touch on um i'm a big believer in in what what the eye sees and then go on potentially to, to 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 go and look at numbers to back up what you've already seen 
mm-hmm. know, because the reason why I say that is is you need to know um, the, the mental toughness of a player, all right? So if we're, if we're looking at loads and saying, well, okay, well, um, J- Jimmy's done 12, 12 kilometres, uh, he can't, he can't, he can't do 12 kilometers again tomorrow. If it's all numbers, 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 mm. we actually never know um, who, can, who, who can go beyond that. What yeah. else is it? What else is in the tank? Uh, and for me, that's, uh, that's really, really important because I don't know how many times, whether it was myself or other players played where, you know, they, they actually had no right to be on the field, but they find, they find something deep inside um, to, to be able to get through minutes uh, moments, all those kind of things. So sports science now, I think at times can be a little bit, um, you know, all, all all science, all science, all science. But I think sometimes you've got to have that feel for for a person and to mm. to know exactly how much pain they can go through. I mean, you're not going to put players at risk of, of injury, yeah. clearly, clearly. But um, that has changed a hell of a lot. Uh, but I, like I, said, I always go back to your eye, what you see. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can see whether a player's tired, um, mm. and then you can go and look at uh, numbers and all that sort of stuff, and then then it maybe backs up what you see. There's no scientific way to determine how far someone's prepared to dig. You know how how deep they're prepared to go. That's 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 probably the key. Uh, you know, a, a good football team, a good work ethic in any part of life. How you know how deep is this guy prepared to dig when when you know the shit's hitting the fan. Uh, sports science can't tell you whether you're a winner or not. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon Strachan said it was doing a Scotland game and uh, the sports science came down and said, we're not taking on enough water. And right. Gordon's looking at him. You know Gordon's not got a lot of time for us, so he's looking at him and saying, more water? Is that what the problem is here? They're maybe getting beat one nothing or something. He says, right, okay, everybody have more water. Will that help you control the ball? Will that help you win that tackle? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It is, I think it, 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 it... Look, we're probably dinosaurs, aren't we? But... It does look as if it's trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit with some of this stuff. Yeah, and look, it, it, it'll change again. Again, I kind of have, a, have a, a little sneaky laugh and all that. I remember when we done the treble 2002-2003, uh, obviously the, the craziness of that, that last game, 6-1 to Firmland, uh, victory. Yeah. We, we, we were on the drink for days, days. Uh, yeah. And then and then we had to trap, trap again and play in the cup final against Dundee. Uh, <laughs> but, but, the one, but the ones that were out drinking all week, were the, were the ones that got through the game no problem and Mikey Moles who never had a drop of, of alcohol in his life mate he was cramping up so I'm like how, how's, how does that work uh-huh. how does that work he's cramping up and he's probably he's probably been home and, and sleeping at 10 o'clock and he's not had a drop of alcohol he's cramping up come uh, cup final and we've been on the we've been on the juice for three days <laughs> yeah, was that season Craig um, in particular uh, um, you know that game that you you referred to 6-1 against Infermont while Celtic were battering Kilmarnock and you know, I was covering that game that day and it just seemed the goals were flying in everywhere. One minute Celtic were champions, next minute you were. But, but when the wheels stopped turning, Rangers were the champions. Yeah, no, it was, it was a crazy, crazy afternoon. Like, I, I, I can't ex- explain how they felt leading into the last three games, but the feeling was that, we, that the games were going to be to be won. Basically, how many goals um, are going to be scored and uh, the, the way that that last day, the way that it swung back and forward was... Uh, like nothing I've ever experienced before. Um, you talk about tension. You talk about um, well, I'm I'm grey now, but I'm probably sure there's a few supporters that went grey after that day. But Mikel Arteta, that penalty right at the end, I think we we, we knew that the, the 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 league had been won. Obviously, him scoring the goal confirmed that. Um, 
And it was just an it was an amazing moment because uh, you know both Rangers and Celtic had fantastic seasons. I think we both got to ninety seven points, uh, and and goal difference by one. Um, it was an incredible way to finish the season. How, how much were you aware of what was going on at Rugby Park? I was down at Rugby Park that day, and there was I'm sure there was a moment, maybe it was the end of the first half, where it's Ichi Peachy. I think that everyone's all level. I'm yeah. sure Celtic hit the post, yeah, and about. 30 seconds later, word comes through, Rangers had just scored at Ibrox and it changed. I mean, it was, as David said, it was all over the place that day. It was mental. The, en- the energy just went back and forward and, and obviously we're, we're at home. Um, so just by the, the reaction of our supporters, we, we, we kind of knew what was happening um, in the Celtic match. Again, just by the reaction of the support, yeah. mate, the noise would go up another level when we, we needed to go on and get another goal. Um, it was... Goosebumps a little bit there, but it was a crazy. It was a crazy day. It was just one of those ones where, again, fans played a huge, huge part. But they were the ones. They were the ones that kind of would allow us as players to 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 know what was happening elsewhere and and still what was required to to do our side of things. And thankfully, um, like I says, we got over got got over the line in the end. Arteta scores a winning penalty. I can still see him run the run the. Uh, yeah. Running away after scoring his celebration, all that sort of stuff, and that, like I says, that probably went on for for a few days too too long. <laughs> Tell us a bit about Arteta, because obviously you know he's he's developed into a potential you know English Premier League winning manager. Yeah. Probably won't happen now because of Man City, but um, you know he was only a kid really at Rangers, wasn't he? But at that time, could you see that he had something about him? Yeah, no. He, look, he was a great talent. He was um, he was very mature as a young player because he was young when he was with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could you could see you could. I mean, don't get me wrong. I couldn't see at this stage where you look at a young player with great talent um, that he's going to be a a Premiership manager and doing as well as what he's he's doing today. But you could see that you could see that the boy was switched on. Like he's had a really really good head on his shoulders. Um, and again, he's, he's one of many that you kind of follow um, as the years pass by, don't you? You know, a lot of players that you played with or played against and, and you kind of follow their movements and where they end up. But uh, Mikel, done, he's done a really, really good job at, at Arsenal. Um, he'll be thankful to Arsenal because the crazy world we're in now in second of managers, they could have easily done that yeah. not too long after he first went in, but they were patient. And I think they're in a far better position now because of that. Right. Did you play against them? Always in- I remember Rangers played against PSG, and yes. he was about nineteen. Yes. And in that match, and I, he was just head and shoulders. I just thought, oh, this guy's different class. I, I was actually really surprised that Rangers got the deal to get him in because uh, I, I just remember being really struck by him in, that, in those two ties. Thought he just that was it, yeah, that, yeah, against uh, PSG. Yeah, and no, I played. By the way, I've looked at that team PSG, and you, you look at some of the players, and you go, oh my god, uh, yeah. we managed to managed to get through as well. Um, and then you're right, he, he comes, I think, maybe 5.86 million pounds. When would Rangers now be in a position to sign a well established young promising talent from, from PSG? So it kind of shows you how much the game no, uh, has changed. So, assuming you've got you've got Arteta who's just coming through as a kid, kind of thing, yeah. with his whole career in front of him, but also in that team that day was a guy that played in World Cup finals, was Diego Maradona's best mate, etc., etc. Tell us about Kanija, because 
for him to even be playing in Scottish football, obviously originally with Dundee as well, which is even more crazy when you think about it. Um, what was he like? What was Kaniji like? Kaniji was Kaniji was brilliant. He was he was amazing. Um, you know, you watch those cartoons and you see people and they kind of run on water. Uh, <laughs> mate, that's what he's like. He he he's he was so light. He was so light on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he was 36, 36 when he was with us at the time. He was the quickest player, uh, and not just. He was he was the quickest player by a distance. He he was so explosive, but it was just he just the way he moved. He was soft uh, on the ground. A uh, couple of things we used to train. Obviously, we had we had to train. Yes, uh, and we'd be I'd be up against um, clouds and all sort of stuff, and maybe um, you know ball comes up and he's he's been kicked a little bit. He kind of look he'd look at me and all that. I go, Claudia, if you don't want to be kicked, mate. Go over the other side. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but another thing, he we had a wonderful training facility, great gym and all that sort of stuff. Um, I never seen him in the gym once, right? But see when he used to take his top off. Hmm. My God, he was absolutely ripped, ripped, ripped. He was an absolute beast. Um, but no, he was well loved. He was well loved. He just knew how to. He was experienced. You touch on, you know, like the, his career before he even come to, to, to Rangers, let alone Dundee. Um, mm-hmm. He was amazing. He was really great. His stories about Maradona and all that sort of stuff and what they used to get up to. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I've, heard, I've heard some of them. I'm amazed that he was still able to kick a ball at the age of 36. It sounds as if he could have put 10 years in his life at Napoli. Yeah, no, but he was he was frightening. He was he, he was uh, he was a big player, um, you know. But he was lightning. He was lightning fast. He's probably the quickest player I've ever played with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, this about players you played with. I'm, I'm interested to know. Obviously, you had a, a really good relationship on the pitch with with Big Ammo. Yes. Did you did, did you like him? Did, did, did you two gel? Dave and I did uh, Ammo's autobiography. I get yeah. the feeling. Perhaps wasn't as well liked inside the dressing room as he would have liked to have been. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you, yeah. Nah, the big man. Look, the, the big man. Look, he's a, he's a he's very very loud. Yeah. Uh, you know, in terms of that's that's his personality, and I think once you understand who Lorenzo Amoruso is, um, my I absolutely I, I love the big man. You know what yeah. I mean? Because he's got a he's got a huge huge heart. Yeah, uh, you know, he would he would he would keep you honest, and you would you would disagree with the big man as well. But like I says, he was um, his heart was always in the right place. You, you're right. I, my best football in terms of being a centre half, my best partnership was with mm-hmm. L- Lorenzo. I, I felt as if we we complemented uh, one one another well. He used to go and like to try and win things in front. I would normally cover and uh, and and defend more. Um, but he was a big personality, Keith. He was a big, mm-hmm. big. So I can understand how some people would be rubbed up the wrong way or didn't really understand Lorenzo. But mate, I, I think the big man was was brilliant. Um, and like I says, huge, huge heart. Loved the football club, and, and would do anything he could for his teammates. See, that's brilliant because I would imagine very chalk and cheese you two, and yet it, it just worked. Yeah, no. Again, look, because physically he was, he was. He was impressive, you know. He was a big, big lad. He used to love those, those physical uh, duels where, and and he used to like to try and go on, you know, on the front foot defend and and, and nick things. And because sometimes you you, you maybe uh, you, you you don't. Then I was in a position where, like I says, I would always be 
close enough to him where if if it goes a little bit longer and it has been missed, that I'm in a position to cover. But two very, very different players. But I thought we, we struck up a really, really good partnership. And I played with a lot of good central defenders, but not necessarily by their side. Lorenzo, I did. And mm-hmm. I, I think we did um, quite well together. Were you always worried there was a mistake in him? That he was going to be a little bit over-elaborate or try to take you know, speed on? You know when that could happen? That could happen when you're playing a game that was too easy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. So see the bigger games? His focus, his concentration, yeah. uh, his performances were, were huge. Yeah. See when the, see when that game got a little bit, yeah, 3-0 or 4-0 and it, it gets mm. a, a little bit more comfortable? It starts doing the pony stuff. Then, then sometimes they're, they're, that's when the, the mistake might have been there. Yeah. Can I ask you about the, your international career, Craig? Because obviously we touched on it. You played two World Cups. Um, before that, though, you, 2004 Athens Olympics, yes. you went there. Yes. Did, that cause a, did that cause a problem between you and McLeish? Am I right in saying he didn't yes. really want you to go? <laughs> yes. Nah, look, the, the situation was um, I was actively sort of like, you know, when you have, a, I think the chairman at the time, Rangers would have been, uh, listened to offers at that time. Uh, I'd been at the club already 11 years. Uh, so I kind of knew that my time was coming to an end at the football club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was always big on knowing when to leave, right? Because I didn't want to be one of those players that are hanging on for dear life uh, and pra- probably not finishing uh, when you should have. Mm. So, look, I had the opportunity to go to 2004 Olympic Games in Athens. Um, I missed 1996 because I broke my foot against Celtic. So the, the time that I could have went as a, an underage player in the right age group, I didn't get to. 2004, I had the opportunity to go as an overage player. Alex wasn't happy because of the timing. Uh, it, it clashed with the Champions League qualifiers. Um and I, I got all of, the, all of that and we, we had a good chat about that. But I still I still wanted to go and represent my country and play in the Olympic Games, which I'd never, ever done before. But also the undercurrent of knowing that my time at the football club, they were listening to offers, any opportunity that come for me to move on. They, they weren't going to, to stand on my way. So, um, look, did, did we fall out? No. We, we, we certainly didn't fall out. I mean, he, I think the captaincy did take the captaincy office at the time, um, but I knew I knew my t- <coughs> excuse me I knew I knew that the time time was up, um, and a lot of a lot of Rangers supporters who will listen to this and they'll all have their their own opinions, and I, I do still cop uh, some flack for it. But like I says, uh, the reality is, as an Aussie growing up, um, representing your country, playing the Olympic Games is one of the the, the highest things you can do. Uh, that's that's kind of the way that we are brought up. Uh, I knew that there was uh, work being done behind the scenes to actually uh, be moved on from Rangers at that particular time, um, and and therefore you know all good things at times come to an end, and and that's kind of where I was at that time. Yeah. yeah. What the one thing I did want to ask you, one of the most unfortunate things, timing's everything, I guess. Yeah. You're the Rangers centre half at the time when Henrik Larsson is Celtic centre forward. That's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> now you took a fairly robust sort of a way of dealing with, with Henrik, as I recall. What was it like? I, I just imagine being a centre half going out on that pitch, thinking, "Jesus, it's him again." That, that, that that's a hard shift. He was he was sensational. Very very good. He was very very good, Keith. I mean, but again, I, I mean, 
I enjoyed the tussles that we that we had, and and you know, as a player, you want to play against the best players, um, you know, and, and certainly domestically, you know, Larson was was incredible. Um, Celtic had a formidable um, front three, in fact, you know, Larson, Sutton, and and, and Hartson, but. Look, you could you could you could be at your very very best and still concede a goal to Henrik Larsson. Mm. Uh, such such was was his quality, um, and, and like I mean, the same was an overly. Fit. I mean, if I had a chance to to go in and and back in the day, you had a chance to be able to get ball and maybe take a little bit of body and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> um, and maybe that happened on the odd, odd occasion. But I tell you what, he could he could give as good as he uh, as he mm. got as well. Yeah. And, you know what? Again, it was rivalry. It was. Um, um, there was respect there, um, and I really enjoyed my battles. I really enjoyed my battles. He was a very intelligent player. He was one of those ones. I mean, we know how prolific he was in in regards to, to goal scoring, but I think people maybe forget how how hard he worked for the team. Yeah. Um, again, he was one of those ones that worked from the front and and, and at times gave Celtic a really good platform because he'd force errors. Um, there's a little bit of cat and mouse and all that, you know, the way the he, he would kind of encourage you to get started, but at the same time, he was ready to pounce. Mm-hmm. Um, so even back then, right, what was pleasing for me is one hour contests, I really, really enjoyed them. But secondly, we know what a lot of people say about Scottish football ah, it's only Scotland, it's only Scotland, all right? He scored goals everywhere he went, yeah. yeah and, I, and, and I think that that was great for Scottish football because I think that gave people all over the world, a better understanding that just because you're playing in Scotland and you're scoring goals doesn't mean that you're not good enough to go and do the same thing in other leagues. Completely validated the Scottish game because, when you know, as you said, you know, people look, oh, well, it's 30 goals a season, yeah, but it's Scottish football. Barcelona, Old Trafford, improved. He was genuine, world-class. Yep, yep. And, and that's also, we forget the national team stuff as well. Yeah. Did you enjoy the, the kind of man's, man's aspect of it? You guys... Coming up against, you know, Henrik was Henrik special, but the Sutton yeah. and Hartson thing. I mean, this, this yeah. was proper. You were proper going to war. These boys, weren't they? It was a, it was a real tear up. It was great yeah. to watch. Yeah, no, it was. It was like because I enjoyed that contest, Keith, because um, I actually preferred playing against the, the the bigger, more physical type of player. It was it was a, a challenge, uh, and probably more suited to to my my style of game. Um, I mean, I, I didn't love playing against the Maybe the smaller, um, nippy kind of kind of strikers. I found that they were a little bit more difficult to, to play against. But but the tussles, big John Hartson, you touch on. Uh, mate, we still do a lot of work together now. And uh, what a gentleman! Um, mm-hmm. I tell you what, he 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 left nothing out in that pitch. So he, you know. But what I loved about him is he would give it out. But at the same time, if you then you know maybe caught him, uh, nothing was said. It was like if you're gonna. <laughs> If you're going to give it out, then you've got to learn to be able to take it. He was he was like that. That's old school. That's how we were. Yeah. Um, so who I've seen it, seen a few times uh, around about since I've, I've been back and all that. Again, he was he was he was a different type because uh, he was big, physical. Um, he didn't mind to try to try to um, be a little bit verbal on on the field and all that sort of stuff as well. But um, enjoyed some enjoyed some good tussles with him. But he probably moaned a little bit more than than the the previous two that we've we've touched on. <laughs> Uh, but again, he was a, he was a very very good player. It wouldn't have surprised you probably the reaction after the that last day shootout we were talking about Celtic Rugby Park. You get you guys yeah. versus Dunfermline. Yeah. Sutton came out and then said, "Yeah, well, we knew Dunfermline would roll over." How did that go down in the dressing room? Okay, again, mate, it's one of those ones where 
we we know we know I know the city very well, um, and and there's there, there's a, there's a winning side and there's a losing side, and we were fortunate enough on that particular day to be to be the winning side. I know um, Chris Sutton's interview and, and what come out of that particular time, but mate, I was probably two or three beers down at that stage and wasn't really that bothered. You mentioned there how. Larson kind of validated Scottish football by what he went on to do after he left Scottish football. Has Ange Postacoglu validated Australian coaches by the tear-up that he's enjoyed both in Japan and now obviously over here? My, by the way, that's the top. I, I love that question. Uh, there's always... There's always look and learn, Keith. Look, look and learn, son. <laughs> yeah, no, but there's, look, there's always been a side to me that... Um, I love Scotland. Um, I love everything that it's brought for me. Um, but I'm I'm Australian, and I know I know how sometimes um, the Aussies need to work extra hard, um, and and kind of um, that opportunity that comes about in Europe doesn't happen too often. Um, but we know what we're doing, and that was that was kind of the thing where Ange coming in, um, the job that he's done at Celtic has has been incredible. Uh, am I surprised? I'm, unfortunately, no, <laughs> uh, because I kind of worked with him and knew what he was all about, and knew that desire and hunger w- within that um, that that Celtic supporters uh, and Scotland in general now have seen from him. Uh, you look at you look at John Brady, who's just got promoted now at, at Northampton, Aussie coach, mm-hmm. uh, doing extremely well. Kevin Musket, good friend, doing extremely well in um, Japan. So we, we have there there was a, a period of time whether it be players whether whether it be coaches um, the good ones are very very good in my opinion and the the reason why and I'd love to bring more Australian coaches here but it's very hard in Scotland because they like to recycle what what's already here um, but Australian coaches the best ones they actually run a football club in Australia mm-hmm. right because right. they have to because uh, the 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 admin and the uh, the suits are probably not uh, that experienced or really know what they're coming up against, but we kind of have that idea and have had that experience. So you talk about media, you talk about salary caps, which are which are in Australia. You talk about medical departments. You talk about recruitment. You talk about managing CEOs. You talk about managing owners. The, the good Australian coaches have got it all covered. Plus. <laughs> Plus, I can go and coach on the grass. Yeah. I mean, Richard Goff did say in, in the podcast we, we had him on, he said from day one, he kind of contacted you and said, what about this guy, Postacoglu? And you said, oh, unfortunately, I think you're in a bit of trouble here. <laughs> you, you knew right away because that, that wasn't the feeling. Even among Celtic fans, it was, who's this guy? Where did they pl- pluck him from? But, yeah. I mean, he hit the ground in a blaze. Uh, he's just he's he, he's just a big believer in 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 um, the beauty of the game, uh, but more importantly about the way he wants to play, Keith. And 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 that's look, he didn't get off to the best start in the the first six games of his spell. Uh, yeah. He didn't start off well, but I mean, he, he didn't wobble. He didn't wobble. He still had a strong belief in terms of what he wanted to achieve. What was um, what was there, what he had, what he needed to bring to the table to be able to play a style of football yeah. that, 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 that they've, they've kind of delivered now consistently. So I think he's he's been very good um, and 
you know, a lot of the stuff that I speak about the media and all that, and especially even after some of the European results, and they're like, no, he's going to change, he's going to change. And he's gonna... I just started laughing. I go, he ain't yeah. changing. He, he just want to get better at what he's doing. That's right. So your experience of working with him was from the Aussie national side, yeah? Yeah, I worked – actually, when he first came out to, to – when I first went out to Australia, I was at Brisbane Raw. Ange come in um, to, the, to the club just as I was leaving the club. Mm-hmm. We had a bit of a run-in, but, I mean, we're, we're, we're grown men. We kind of we, – we, we forgive and forget, and we've got a great relationship. Um, I then – was running over? Um, actually, there was a meeting. There was a meeting that kind of uh, – he was, he was probably looking to use his motivation to the group. Uh, and and kind of maybe just got to me and said uh, maybe a thing a thing or two that I wasn't overly delighted with. <laughs> um, so no, nah, but it was all it was all good. And then the national team uh, stuff was uh, he got he got the job, and and I'm like thinking oh no, nah, was like we, we probably didn't finish off on a great night at Brisbane. And uh, I go, <laughs> so, so I picked up I picked up the phone and says Ange, listen, I'm in Melbourne, which is where he was. I says I'd love to be able to catch up with you national team coach now i've been doing this role in terms of the mentoring in terms of um, helping the fa with a lot of the information from the players overseas you may or may not want that to continue um, mm-hmm. and, we, and we we met and um, we had an hour and um maybe we had a really really great chat we both um, agreed that we were hugely passionate about australian football and wanted to um, continue to make an impact and, and and shook hands and everything was kind of forgotten. Uh, and again, it wasn't a big issue at, at Brisbane. And I just felt that, you know what, that also shows a, um, a, the, the type of man that he is. Um, he's big on, he's just big on getting the right people, you know. As long as people are in and doing their jobs and doing them jobs properly, um, when he can then go and focus on other things, that's that's the way he likes to, he likes to operate. So, yeah. Um, you know he, he's done a, he's done a wonderful job um and we, we've got huge huge respect for one another would I have loved the success to be at Rangers absolutely uh, it doesn't hurt me that he's having that success at Celtic yes it does uh, but but there's there's that little bit in me that um that's saying you know what but he's he's an Aussie and I'm I'm, I'm glad he's doing well well do you I think did. He'll, um, <laughs> think he'll go down south at some point do you think he'll try and I know he's got nothing to prove, but I suppose, you know, the English Premier League is where everybody wants to go, ultimately, is it not? I think there is something for him still to to, to prove to, to, to himself and also to the supporters. And he'll want to he'll want to show that, that he can do better in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, clear, clearly, that's the, the, the area where uh, he'll be uh, working ever so hard to, to really try and improve. And then... Um, he gets to that to, to that level, which I don't see why he, he can't get to that level. They're then the top English clubs. It's only a matter of time. In yeah, my, I, I, in my I, I think I think what he wants to do was is he wants to prove he's got this blueprint and he said this this works. My system works, yeah. and it will work in Japan. And I can take it to Scotland. I can make it work in the UK. And yeah. it, for me, you're right. He wants to make it show that this that I don't need to change. I just yeah. need to make it a little bit better. I might need to bring in better players, but I will prove that this system's going to work in in whatever platform that we're, we're playing on. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. He look, I mean, Celtic Celtic supporters enjoy what you're seeing and enjoy what you got because uh, it won't it won't last. It won't, it won't last forever, you know. Like he, mm-hmm. he uh, there is that ambition uh, within and to to continue his his footballing journey and Premiership offers that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
you know, I think after maybe another year, um, if the right club it has to be the right club, uh, yeah. then then the the opportunity um, for Ange to move on uh, again, I think with probably the the support of the supporters because again, he's uh, another thing he connects so well, doesn't he? With yeah, uh, with, with the supporters, I think he really comes across as someone that that, that, that understands the, the the size of the football club. More importantly, how hard the supporters work to, to get the money to go and watch a game of football. And he says all the right things. He's he's very very clever and done a, done a really good job. And in terms of what he's done for for Australian, you know, guys in, in football, Craig. I mean, there's an opportunity here, isn't there? Because right now it's a pretty easy sell if you're. You know, an Aussie coach, an Aussie player. There's, there's a real link between Scotland and Australia just now. Ange is obviously the, the kind of trailblazer. But, I mean, for a guy like yourself, the, am I right in thinking you kind of were, were hopeful of perhaps getting the um, director of football at Hearts? Um, that's a, originally, Keith, that was – I. so that's nearly three years ago. Yeah. Uh, I uh, – yeah, yeah, a job that I'd done at, at, at Brisbane Raw for three years, um, finished up there, um, and the director of football role come up at Hearts and applied for that. Uh, ended up having uh, a couple of interviews um, with uh, Anne Budge and Andrew McKinley, one in Australia, one here in in um, in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. I, I believe I, I maybe got down to a shortlist, but it never it never. Um, it never came to fruition. So then I just went down the, the agency path, Keith, because it's being an agent or, or, or a director of football, it, it's very, very similar in yeah. terms of, you know, you're, you're recruiting players, you're looking at players, you're growing your network, you're negotiating, you know, all the things that, that, that fall into a director of football. But again, I guess the, the role that I've done in, in, in Australia was, you know, salary caps, so budgets, set up a medical department, uh, built uh, and started up the academy. We at Brisbane Raw qualified for the Champions League, the Asian Champions League. Uh, we sold younger players. Um, all the things that you'd expected to do as a as a, as a director of football. Um, mm-hmm. The women's side, the the, the women um, obviously was just being launched in terms of in Australia as well. So having to manage those side of things. So again, uh, I guess what a range is going to do in that space uh, is is very very interesting um, because. Uh, Clearly, there's a there's a big restructure going on, and, and that's going to happen on and uh, and off the field. So yeah, no, I've certainly been following what, what what's what's happening there, there, Keith, because um, again, it's an area where I am kind of interested. It's a it's an area that I have worked in before. Have you had any conversations with anyone at Rangers about it? No, 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 not at this moment in time. Um, I haven't spoke. So obviously, James Bisgrove's the new CEO. Um, we, we've had communication, but not not about uh, any particular roles as such. Uh, I haven't spoken to to, to John Bennett, uh, the new chairman. Um, so look, in, to answer your question, have I spoken to anybody in a position, an influential position that maybe is making decisions at the football club? No. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Though I bet you've got a whole bunch of ideas about what you'd like to do if you did get in. Well, again, why am I uh, tongue in cheek? Just because we're from Australia, mate, doesn't mean we don't know what's happening in football. Uh, I've got a really good, net- I got a really good network, uh, and that's one thing I've always uh, taken huge pride uh, with. Uh, you know, and in terms of if, if Rangers, for example, wanted to look in Asia, then I've, I've got my man in Asia. 
Uh, Kevin mm. Muscat's doing exactly what Ange uh, was doing previously. You know, he's, he's, he's won the title last year. He's in a good position again this season. Um, so, again, I've got, a, I've got eyes and ears in many different countries. Um, and it's about it's about bringing the right players to um, to, to, to turn things around. Rangers have got a big job to do in terms of, you know, squad building, you know, not only being good players, strong characters, winners, um, and, and to get back to winning ways. That's that's a challenge for the football club, everybody at the football club. Do you know what I, what I think is important as well, Craig, though, is we talk about, you know, your development coming through as a young kid at Rangers. We talk about Barry coming through as a young kid. There's a certain culture that, that that winning mentality that was bred that that perhaps today's generation you know or perhaps went missing from Rangers during their financial problems and all that is that something that would be important to to reinstall and reinstill and you know to teach the kids it's important yeah. to play football but it's yeah. really important to win <laughs> because that seemed to be the culture that that you guys were were brought up on. Yeah, no, look, for me, you know, you touch on likes of Barry Ferguson. Uh, and again, I, I come out on the on the radio the other day and I, I say exactly the same to you guys. When I look at the, the role of um, head of the academy, for example, yeah? The new for, me that, for me, that's got Barry Ferguson written all over it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm very clear in why. Um, loves a football club. Right, so... He he hurts when 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 the when the club are not successful. Right, so he, he loves the club that much. His experience in terms of what what he's walked in his own shoes from going from uh, the academy football transitioning into the first team fo fo football team uh, and being hugely successful at it, lifting trophies for the football club. Um, Barty set standards. There's a lot of people that um, Barty will challenge in regards to. You know, coaches underneath players, uh, because again, he has that he has that 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 desire, that passion, and, and that that knowledge mm -hmm. of how to get of how to get there. But probably the most important thing is Michael Beal's the, the head coach now, uh, and I'm sure he'd have a wonderful relationship with with Buddy if he was in that position. But I don't think it would matter who is the manager uh, of the football club at any at any stage. I think there would always be. A huge respect and a really, really strong link between the academy and the first team. If Barry mm -hmm. Ferguson was in that position, mm -hmm. mm. well, he was. He was the pupil who you know did it the best. Wasn't he? He's, if you look back over the last, I don't know how long, thirty years, yeah. in terms of kids that came through the academy, he is the the star pupil. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, look, for me, I just think that I think a little bit differently. People that um, that challenge. Um, I, I, I personally rather surround myself with, with that, yeah. that that type of person because, you know what, it keeps me honest mm -hmm. and it also it also um, enables growth uh, and ongoing growth. And, and for me, I think, you know, too many times, and I've seen it in the game, I'm not saying it ranges, but in the game in general, people like to get yes men. Uh, and, and that for me is not the way forward. That's not how um, any organ organisation improves. You need to have... Um, you need to have good open discussion. You need to have the, the ability to be able to learn and to listen. Um, and that comes through through debate, through, yeah. through challenging uh, one another in a positive way. Most important thing is that once you walk out that front door, that you walk out as one. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, Craig, that's a fine way to end the conversation. It's been a brilliant hour. Um, really, really enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. But... Um, it's it's been fascinating listening to every facet of your 
your career and obviously what might might or might not happen next. So I think we'd both like to thank you very much for your time this morning for doing that with us. Yeah, top man. Thanks for that, pal. Really appreciate it. Great to great to chat, guys.